Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Gracious. Are you all right? Oh, I'm going to put those on the wrong side. Are you happy to be here? Are you thankful for Pentecost? Are you? Are you sure? Are you thankful for the Holy Spirit? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? He comes to make Jesus real. He makes him very real sometimes. He makes him very real up here sometimes. We were singing for the Lord to open up the heavens and let his kingdom come to earth. That's a dangerous song. That's a dangerous song. I want you to know, though, that we're actually not asking the Lord to open up the heavens because they're sealed. We're actually asking the Lord to open up more of the heavens. Did you know the Lord's actually already opened up the heavens? The heavens are already open. The heavens aren't sealed. We're not, we're not petitioning God to open up something that's sealed. When we cry out, open up the heavens and let your kingdom come to earth, we're asking Him to make, the, we're asking him to make what's already opened, opened larger. When He sent the Holy Spirit, He didn't send it through something that was sealed. The Holy Spirit didn't come, the Holy Spirit didn't come through something that was closed. He came bursting through the clouds. He, he didn't come through a, 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 a veil that could not be opened. Does that make sense? The veil is open. The veil between that world and this world is open. And it will never be closed again. It will never be closed again. Him in you and on you is proof that heaven is open over this place. We don't have to ask for heaven to start opening over Winchester. We can ask for it to open larger. But we don't have to ask for it to open over Winchester. And when we pray, let the heavens open, we're actually asking, let it open larger. Let it open larger. I like Pentecost. I like Pentecost. The apostle made me change the title of my message this morning, so I don't know what that means, but there's that. The title of the message this morning is now Audacious. Audacious. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. And I'm in the NASB, so... I don't know, do with that what you want. Pray for it or forgive it or something. I'm going to start in verses 12 and 13. And then we're going to go back and work our way there. Is that okay? I don't know what I'd do if you said no, actually. I don't know. I guess I'd just fold up the book and go sit back down. It's going to be okay. So that's what we're doing. Because they gave me a mic. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. In our speech, verse 13, and we are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not stare at the end of what was fading away. Again, the message this morning is audacious. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're in this place. My gracious, you're in this place. Lord, we thank you that you've come to be enthroned upon the praises of your people. And we thank you that where you are enthroned, nothing is seated higher than you. 
Nothing is seated higher than you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you have come to do, and that is to testify of Jesus, that you would make Jesus real in this place, that you would crack open these scriptures and reveal the resurrected Christ to us. Make him alive. Show us Pentecost in this room, that it wasn't a day 2,000 years ago, that it's a moment here and now that we can step into. Breathe in this place, Holy Spirit, upon your people. Do it for the common good. Do it for this region, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll get to verses 12 and 13 in a minute. Let's back up to verses, uh, let's start in verse 4. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Obviously, these are his sons and daughters in the faith. And he starts off in verse 4 and he says, Such is the confidence that we have toward God through Christ. He opens up um, in chapter 3 here and he's, he's um, talking to, to his sons and daughters in the faith. In the first couple of verses, he is um, he's, he's rebuke, re, rebuttaling what would have been um, these false teachers, what Paul would sometimes refer to as false apostles, or these um, false um, leaders who would come into the church and try to lead these people astray. They would come in, and when they would come in, they would present these letters of recommendation or commendation, and they would say, I'm teacher or bishop or apostle or such and such or so and so, and I come in the name of so and so, and here's my resume basically that says who I am and why I'm able to teach in this church. Does that make sense? They'd, they'd show up with a resume that says, This is who I am, this is who I studied under, this is who I learned under. This is all of the books that I've written. This is uh, all the talk shows that I've been under. I was on Oprah and Dr. Phil, and that's why I'm able to talk to the Corinthian church, okay? So they'd show up, and Paul, in the first couple of verses, he, he actually has this beautiful thing where he says, I don't need letter of commendation or recommendation because you are my letter, not written with ink, but written by the Holy Spirit. So Paul, is in verse 4, he's saying, this is my confidence. I don't have confidence in a letter. I have confidence because of you. You are my letter. So Paul starts off by saying, here's the reason I have authority to write this letter. It's because of you. You are my sons and daughters in the faith. That's the reason I'm writing the letter, okay? So Paul's just setting a firm foundation. He's saying, the reason I can write this letter with such boldness, the reason I can come to you with such authority, the reason I can come to you in such love is because you are family. It's a big difference when somebody comes who's family, right? It's a big difference when dad pulls up a chair to the kitchen table and says, son, daughter, we got to have a talk, as opposed to somebody on a street corner that says, you ought not be doing that. It's a big difference. That's why the church is not a business. That's why the church is not a business. It may be a 501c3 organization, but this is not a business. This is a family. Because when we got to discuss stuff in the house, it's mom and dad that got to pull up a chair to the table. It can't be some stranger or else we don't get stuff done. Does that make sense? Or else we all get offended and we get hurt and we tuck our tail and we run out the doors and then we find somebody else. Okay, it's got to be mom and dad pulling up a chair and kids sitting across the table and we order some food and we discuss hard matters. That's why Paul says, this is the confidence that I have. We're family. We can have these kind of conversations. They're trying to convince you of stuff that is not right. And as your dad, I want to make sure you know what you have and what you shouldn't have. So I want to pull up a chair and talk to you about what you got. Okay, so Paul's talking as a dad. So Paul, 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 Lord have mercy. I told y'all. All right, verse 5. 
Not that we are adequate in ourselves so as to consider anything as having come from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter but of the spirit. For the letter kills but the spirit gives life. Okay? So Paul says... We have been on a mission from God, and here is our confidence that we have no confidence in of ourselves. This is our confidence that in of ourselves we can do nothing. I said this at nine this morning, but isn't it funny that the most humble apostle, the apostle who continually boasts about his weakness, is the apostle who accomplishes the most for the kingdom according to biblical standards? Peter is amazing. Peter is healing people with the shadow and walking on water. Those are some pretty high watermarks. No, no pun intended. Those are some pretty awesome accomplishments for the kingdom. But can we just be honest? Peter struggles with pride sometimes. Peter, Peter pride gets in the way. Paul's got to call him out for it at one point, right? John, the beloved, is incredible. But we don't see the kind of humility in John that we see in Paul. I mean, that's closer than Peter. But Paul is continually boasting, boasting, not just saying, yeah, I'm weak. Paul is going beyond that. He is boasting of his weakness, boasting of the things that make him weak. And yet he is the, the apostle who accomplishes the most in the New Testament. Can I just say that in a culture that says, get yours and do what you need to do for you, follow the Apostle Paul. Don't follow, don't follow the, the culture that says, do you and get yours and succeed on your own and step on whoever you got to step on. The Apostle Paul would go as far in a few chapters in 2 Corinthians 12 to say, I'll boast of my weakness. Why? Because it's in my weakness that Christ's power is made perfect. Paul would say that his, his perfect power is able to dwell in me when I boast of my weakness. That word for dwell is to tabernacle. Christ's ultimate Holy Spirit power, Paul would say, is able to take up a tabernacle on the inside of me when I boast of my weaknesses. Here's what we do though. We take weakness and we shove it over to the side and we say God doesn't want to use weakness but God will take all my strengths and He'll use these strengths for the kingdom and if I can get over my weakness then God can use me in my strengths. That's not what Paul does. Paul would boast of his weakness because he said this weakness is actually what will give Christ a platform in my life. In some of his epistles, Amy mentioned it this morning in, in Sunday school. In some of his epistles, Paul would say, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. A Hebrew of Hebrews. That is not the greatest bragging rights to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. Why would Paul brag about being a Pharisee of Pharisees in his former life? Wouldn't Paul want to throw that away in the trash, burn that up, and never want to see it again? Paul says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees in my former life because that is the platform on which Christ is able to stand. Because being a Pharisee of Pharisees is actually a greater stepping stone for Christ to be elevated in his life. Most of us, if we were a Pharisee of Pharisees, would say, hide it in a corner, put it in a closet, shut the door, and never talk about it again. Paul says, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to boast about how awful I was, because in that, Christ is able to be magnified. Because Paul says, I am nothing in of myself, but then he turns right around and says, but he... 
He has made me adequate. He has made me able. That word has that word in the Greek has made. It means to fulfill with the power necessary to complete a task. So whatever task He has given me, He has given me the power necessary to complete that task. If it's as crazy, and I said this at 9 too, if it's as crazy as planting a wagon wheel in some jacked up part of the country like central Kentucky, He has given us the power necessary to complete everything that He's called us to do. As big as it looks, as weak and small as we may look, every assignment that He deals out, He also deals out grace so that I am able and I have the necessary power to do what He's called me to do. But if I push aside my weaknesses and say, once I get over this hurdle and get to that strength, then I can complete it, I rob Him of glory. I'll rob him of glory. And Paul said, I won't dare rob him of glory. I'll boast of weaknesses so that he won't be robbed of glory. He says our adequacy is from God who has made us adequate. That's just he's made us sufficient or enough or able to be servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. People will mess this verse up. Paul's not talking about scripture. He is not giving you permission to stop reading your Bible and to sit in your prayer closet and, and, and never mind, I'm not going to go there. He is not giving you permission to stop reading your Bible. Paul is talking about the law. He is talking about Jewish Christians or, or well, they were Jewish Christians, but they leaned way more Jewish than they did Christian. He is talking about people who lived by the letter of the Mosaic law, who strictly followed the, the law of Moses, and not just the law of Moses, but the customs of the Jewish people. And he's saying, we have not been called to live by this law that leads unto death. We'll get there in a second. Because it, it kills But the Spirit has come to give life. But don't stop reading your Bible. Because a lot of people will take that out of context. They'll say the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So all I'm supposed to do is praise and worship all the time. And I don't have to read the Bible because the letter kills. Mm, I don't know. Jesus said that the Scripture testifies of Him. If the Scripture testifies of Him, I want to find Him in the Scripture. That don't make any sense. All right, off that box. Verse 7. All right, but if the ministry of death engraved in letters on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? There's a lot there. Paul says... All right, hang on just a second. The Father writes with his finger on tablets of stone and hands them to a man as a set of laws and says, go and give these to my people to live by. And Paul says that those stone tablets that the Father, the King of all creation, who is eternally good and perfect in everything he does, What he wrote down with his own very finger. He didn't send an angel. Michael didn't write it. Gabriel didn't write it. What he wrote with his finger. Paul said that's the ministry of death. 
That's the ministry of death. That's bold. That's a dude who hung out with Jesus for three years on the backside of a desert. That's bold. Why does Paul call the law the ministry of death? Well, first of all, because there's a ton of death in it. Because on one side of the law, you have all the blessings. And on the other side of the law, all the stuff you shouldn't do. And if you do, you might die. But more than that, Paul calls it the ministry of death because Paul says in Romans that the law came to reveal sin. The purpose of the law was not to lead to righteousness. The purpose of the law was never to make you a better person. The purpose of the law was to point out how bad of a person you were. The purpose of the law was to show you how not good you could be. The wages of sin are death and the purpose of the law was just to come and show you how much sin you actually had. So Paul says that the law came as a ministry of death. The ministry of the law was to lead to death. But Paul doesn't end there because that would be super depressing in the New Testament. He juxtaposes that with the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the law, which is the ministry of death, Paul says is is comparable to, but opposite to, the ministry of the Spirit. Why? Because the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of life. It is the ministry of life. Everywhere that the law was ministered to, it led to to the revelation of sin, which led to the revelation of death. Everywhere that the Spirit is ministered to, and the Spirit is ministering, it leads to life. Remember what Jesus said? My words are Spirit, and they are life. Everywhere that the Spirit is ministering, it leads to life. Everywhere that He ministers. Remember what John 1 says? In Him is life and that life is the light of man. Jesus breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit in John 20. I think it is. What is in Him that He's breathing out? It is the Holy Spirit. So hang on. Then He goes on in verse 9. If the ministry of condemnation. So it's not just the ministry of death. It's now the ministry of condemnation. If the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness excel in glory. So we have the ministry of death compared to the ministry of the Spirit, which is life, and the ministry of condemnation compared to the ministry of righteousness. This is not Romans 8.1 condemnation, okay? Romans 8.1 condemnation is pointing a finger, shame at you, you deserve hell. That, that's, not, that's not Romans 8.1. This is Romans 8.3 condemnation. That Jesus came in the flesh to judge sin. This is weighing something in a balance and deciding righteously which is guilty and not guilty. Does that make sense? So Paul says there was a law the law came and its ministry was to reveal sin which led to death and to judge righteously to say you have sinned and you are guilty the balance says you are guilty but he compares it to the ministry of the spirit which is to lead to life and the ministry of righteousness which says what the scale says you are guilty but I've removed the weights off the scale and now you are righteous Here's the problem though. If you live thinking that you are under a ministry of death and under a ministry of condemnation when you are actually under a ministry of spirit and life and righteousness, you will continually live your life trying to line up to a law and to a balance that you were never called to live to. It may not happen in this room. I would bet that it does. But it happens outside those doors. 
It happens every day outside those doors. People walking down the street trying to balance out the bad in their life with some good that they can do because they think if I can do good enough, then maybe somebody up there will love me enough that I can get out of hell and I can be saved. When Paul says there is a ministry that is not of condemnation and that is not of death, but it is of righteousness that says you have a right standing and that is of the Spirit that says you have life in me, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ Jesus has done. And Paul said, we have that ministry. We have that ministry. And it is our job to carry that ministry. And he says, that ministry has a glory with it that far exceeds the glory of the ministry of Moses. Look at the next two verses. See, we put it up so I don't have to walk up there. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if the glory which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Moses is on a mountain with God and comes down and his face is shining like a light bulb. And he has to put a veil over his face so they can't see him. He goes out to a tent of meeting and then to the tabernacle. And a whole nation full of people stand outside their tents because a cloud is hanging over the tabernacle. And they say, when that dude comes out of that tent, he's going to be glowing. He's going to be glowing. I don't know if that registers with you or not. Moses came out of a tent made of animal skin and he was glowing. And Paul said, as cool as Moses' glowing body was, the glory that we carry is even more exceeding than that. Here's how much more exceeding it is. So much more so that Moses isn't even shining anymore because you're shining so brightly. Moses isn't even shining anymore. Will you come out with your face shining? If you lock up for 40 days, you might. Moses was with him for 40 days on a mountain. You might. But I would say that this is what Paul's talking about. What is the glory of God? Let's go there for a second. The glory of God is the manifest presence of God. Sometimes it shows up with somebody's face glowing. Sometimes it shows up when the cloud comes into the room. I'm talking about a visible cloud comes into the room and we can't stand. Remember Chronicles? Sometimes the cloud comes into the room and we can't stand. But you know how it shows up sometimes? Sometimes it shows up when you see somebody in Walmart and the Lord says, Smile at them. Tell them to have a good day. Smile at them. Tell them to have a good day. Sometimes it shows up when you're in line at the grocery store and the Lord says, Pick up the tab. A hundred bucks? Yeah, pick up the tab. Pick up the tab. I know a hundred bucks is a ton of money. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making fun of that. A hundred dollars is a lot of money. But if the Lord of all creation says, give them a hundred dollars, let's just believe that he can come up with a hundred dollars. I've I've been there. I've been there. A hundred dollars is a lot of money sometimes. But if he says pick up the tab, let's trust him to pick up the tab, okay? 
He's the one picking up the tab. Sometimes it's the, it's the woman that you're sitting next to at work who feels like her marriage is being ripped apart at the seams. And the Lord says, just lean over and tell her it's going to be okay. Reminder of that time when it felt like your marriage was being ripped apart. And I showed up and I reconciled and restored everything. And now your marriage isn't falling apart at the seams. And now everything has worked out and it's better than it's ever been. Sometimes it is you coming down off the mountain and your face is glowing. But sometimes it's shaking the hand of a neighbor or walking across the street to give a bottle of water to somebody who has nothing else in their possession. And Jesus says through the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit, He says, when you do that, you are glowing much brighter than Moses. So much so that Moses isn't even shining anymore. You are shining so brightly when you do that that Moses isn't even on the radar anymore. He isn't even on the radar anymore. Because that is the glory that far exceeds the glory of Moses. That covenant and that glory far exceeds the glory that Moses has. It may not look cool. It may not feel awesome. It may not look exciting in the moment. But heaven gets excited about that. Can I tell you? Heaven gets real excited about that. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you gets real excited about that. Didn't Jesus say, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me? What do you think the angels that dance around him do when you give a cup of cold water to a homeless man and the angels see you give a cup of cold water to the resurrected, wounded, nail-scarred Christ? God, I felt that. Maybe we don't have to lock up for 40 days and fast and pray. But maybe we do have to walk the 40 feet across the street to shake the hand of the person who nobody wants to look at. Maybe that's how we win a city. And if he calls you to fast for 40 days, you better do what he says to do. But maybe it's more. Maybe it's more. Maybe heaven is looking for more in the less. Maybe heaven is looking for more in the less. Verse 12. Paul says, therefore, having such a hope. What hope? That we carry this incredible covenant. This incredible opportunity. This incredible chance. This incredible moment to share His glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. In our speech. That word for boldness is free and fearless confidence. Knowing. 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 That Moses came down off a mountain glowing. And yet his glory doesn't even come close to comparing with what we get to carry. Paul said we have great boldness. We have great boldness. He says in our speech, can I tell you. That if you have great boldness in your speech, it turns into great boldness in your actions. That the kingdom never stops with talking. The day of Pentecost started with talking and it, and it ended with a bunch of action. Acts chapter 2, I know it's several years apart, but Acts chapter 2 started with talking. Acts chapter 3, they're picking people up off of mats. What started with speech ended with action. Or continued with action. He said we use great boldness. 
Not, not because church says we ought to. Not because we got fired up. We used great boldness because we recognize the weight of what we carry. We recognize the weight of what is possible for us to carry. That we have a glory that far exceeds that of Moses. And it's not, it's not something I have to work up. This boldness is not something that I have to come up with. This word for you. How many of you would say that's awesome but I don't have boldness? I would love that but I, don't, I still don't have boldness. You don't have to raise your hand but just in your heart. I've been there. I don't have boldness. I'm still there sometimes. This word for use, Paul says, therefore we use great boldness. It's to borrow. It's to take out a loan. It's to take out a loan. Where do you get it from? Not from you getting fired up. Not from you getting emotionally charged. Not because I stood up here and told you you ought to. It is from Him. He deposits it as a grace. Peter in 50 days didn't get fired up enough to get bold. It was deposited. It was deposited. Peter went from so scared that he couldn't even say, I know the man, to so bold that he pointed at the Sanhedrin and said, the man got up off of a bed because of Jesus whom you murdered. The same court who sentenced Jesus to death. Peter didn't even want to admit that he knew the man. And then pointed at the dudes who sentenced him to death and say, you murdered him. And he rose from the dead and then rose that dude off his mat. Real quick. Verse 13. And we are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not stare at the end of what was fading away. Can I tell you what I think Paul is saying? Can I tell you what I think Paul is saying? Moses puts a veil over his face. The Bible says he's the most humble man on the, on the planet at the time. He either puts a veil over his face because he's super humble or because he recognizes something. He recognizes that he is carrying something that is a type and a shadow of something that is to come. And he had seen Israel make a calf out of the good things that God had already given them that were supposed to be a type and shadow. And Moses here is carrying a glory that is but a but a glimpse of what is yet to come. And I think Moses in a moment goes, if they see this, they'll never want anything but this. And there is so much more that's coming. So Moses, before he comes out before the people, puts a veil over his face and says, I'm not going to let them get a glimpse of what is just a thimbleful of what they will one day step into the fullness of because it will ruin them. It will ruin them. So Moses puts a veil over his face. And then Paul says, but we are not like Moses. I feel the Lord. I feel the Lord. We are not like Moses. We don't walk around with veiled faces. We walk around with open faces because we carry a glory that cannot, shall not, will not be hidden because we do not carry a type and a shadow of a glory that is one day to come. We carry the fullness of the measure of Christ Jesus on the inside of me. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. There is not a greater glory that is to come. One day He will come in His fullness, but now 
now He is here in His fullness on the inside of me waiting to get out. If the kingdom of heaven is really living on the inside of me, then it's got to get out. Then it's got to get out and I will not walk around with a veiled face because Winchester is dying under a ministry of death and under a ministry of condemnation and there is a ministry of the Spirit and of life and of righteousness and it's time that the church takes the veil off. It's time that the church takes the veil off. It's time that the veil stops being for inside the walls. Pentecost started in a room and it was only there for a moment before it spilled out and started making a mess. It is time for the church to make a mess again. Pentecost has never been clean. Every move of God has offended somebody. And if I'm the one who it offends, thank you, Lord. But it is time that somebody gets moved to get up and get outside the walls of the building. And that Pentecost becomes Pentecost again. That the glory of the Lord starts to shine on the faces of His people. And that it's not some righteous, holy thing where we say it's got to be a religious set of rules. But it is just doing the work of the King and of His kingdom. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit said to me when I was praying over this? Don't get offended at me. Did you know that the mark of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not talking in tongues? It is power. It is power. Because Jesus said so. And He's the boss. Jesus said that you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Power, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, was the original mark of the baptism of the Spirit. But power has been hidden behind a lack of boldness for years. Many of my prayers for power should have been prayers for boldness. 90% of us, 95% of us got every drop of power we need. If it is really Christ in me, the hope of glory, then it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And my prayers for power should have been prayers for boldness. I can have every drop of power I need to heal the sick. And if I don't walk across the sidewalk to put my hands on them, if I don't have the boldness to take the two steps, then they'll never get healed. Then they'll never get healed. And a lack of audacity, there's your word, a lack of audacity has robbed the church and has convinced her that she doesn't have power. Convinced me for years that we were lacking power when what we really lacked was boldness. In Acts 2, they didn't say Peter's got power. It was the boldness of Peter's preaching that caught their attention. In Acts 3, power moved. But in Acts 4, what did the Sanhedrin say to power? Where did these men get this boldness? In Acts 4, after they were released from the Sanhedrin, Peter and John run back to the group. They didn't pray for more power. They said, God, give us all boldness. All boldness. And stretch out your hand to heal. That signs and wonders might be done through your holy child, Jesus. 
Peter and John recognize something. That if we'll get boldness, he'll stretch out his hand to heal. Robbie Dawkins says faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And if we would take the risk, he'll move in power. He'll move in power. He'll move in power. So where do we get boldness? Can I tell you where I think we get it? John 18 makes an interesting statement. I feel like I'm all over the place. John 18 makes an interesting statement. When Peter denies Christ, it says that Peter is in the court of the high priest. John specifically records that they have started a charcoal fire. And that Peter is by the fire. Here's the word he uses. Peter is warming himself. Twice. John says that Peter is warming himself. And right after Peter warms himself, he denies Christ. He's warming himself. He denies Christ. The day of Pentecost comes. A different fire falls. Peter's no longer. Peter's warm. Again. No longer warming himself. He jumps I like to think out the window of the upper room. You can picture it how you'd like. That's how me and Jesus have it worked out. (laughs) Runs to the middle of the street. No longer warming himself, but warmed by a heavenly fire. And operates in a boldness that the world has never seen before. Except for a man called Christ. We like the baptism of fire in Pentecost circles because we think it's Run and shout and speak in tongues. And it is that sometimes. But you know what the fire of God really is? It burns out everything that stands in between Him and me. It burns out everything that stands in between Him and me. Malachi promised. Malachi said, oh, He's coming. Like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And He's going to refine the sons of Levi. And they're going to be refined like pure silver and pure gold. And what, what's going to happen after they're refined? They're going to bring offerings in righteousness unto the Lord. There's not going to be any more impurities in the offering. No more impurities in my offering after he comes as a refiner's fire. So I feel like that's what we're supposed to do today. I know that's dangerous, but I feel like that's what we're supposed to do today. So I'm done talking. You can stand up now. And we're going to pray. That fire didn't come just for fun. That fire came for a reason. Because there was stuff in them that had to go. His fire burns hot. His fire burns pure. Can we close our eyes? I want us to do something. I want you to know something. I think we've robbed the church a little bit. 
the first time the word worship shows up in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's when Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain. And we have for years taught people that worship means to sacrifice, and it does. Abraham's taking Isaac up the mountain, it means to sacrifice, it absolutely does. But that Hebrew word actually shows up twice before that. It's not translated worship, but it shows up twice before that. Can I tell you when it shows up? The two times it shows up are when the, are, are when the supernatural comes to earth and meets with man. It's, it's, when, it's specifically when the, these angels show up and they, they meet with Abraham. I'm, I'm not telling you that we're here to worship angels. That's not what we're here to do. But I am telling you that worship is more than just sacrifice because the sacrifice of worship can become an idol if you're not careful. Worship is meant to be an encounter with another realm. It's meant to be an encounter with another realm. Thanksgiving is the response to the acts of God. It's thank you for what you've done. Praise is a response to the nature of God. It's thank you for who you are. You're a healer even when I don't see the healing. You're a provider when I don't see the provision. Worship is an encounter with the nature and the person of God. I feel like the Lord wants to walk into the room and encounter us today. And encounter us today. How can you encounter the fire of the Holy Spirit if you do not encounter the person of the Holy Spirit? The person of the Holy Spirit. He gave you a roadmap. Here's how it goes. You think your way into praise. You praise your way into worship. That's the roadmap. He gave us the roadmap. So we're going to do that. We are going to make it as simple as possible. He is abundantly faithful. We are going to thank Him. We are going to praise Him. We are going to encounter Him. And in this room, the fire of heaven is going to burn out the impurities in our lives that have stood in the way. And boldness is going to be imparted. Before we start, here's what I want you to know. You don't have to feel it to receive it. The lie is, i got to feel it to receive it. If you feel it, great. But you don't have to feel it to receive it. Ready? We're going to thank Him. Come on, for about 60 seconds, just thank Him. Just thank Him. Come on, thank Him that your kids got breath in their lungs. Come on, thank Him that your car had gas in it this morning. Come on, thank Him that your bed still worked last night. Thank Him that the roof was covering you this morning. Thank Him that you didn't have to sleep on the ground. Lord, we thank You. Thank You. Thank You, Jesus, that my kids are healthy. Thank you, Jesus, that it's a warm, warm, warm home that you've given me. That my air conditioning works, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for my beautiful family. Thank you for the car. Thank you for the gas. Thank you, Lord, for the job. Thank you for the finances, God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you for what you've given to my family. Thank you for all the provisions that you made. Thank you for every time you've shown up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now we're going to praise Him. Lord, we praise You because You're a healer even when we don't see the healing. We praise You that You're a provider even when we don't see the provision. We praise You that You're a deliverer even when it doesn't feel like I'll make it out of this season. Lord, we praise You that You're always with us, that You'll never leave us, You'll never forsake us. When it feels like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, You are right there by my side. You'll never walk away from me. You'll never pack Your bags. You'll never leave me, 
Jesus. I praise you that you're with me in the middle of every circumstance. I praise you that you're with me in the middle of every circumstance. I praise you, Lord, that even when the doctors say you can't, you will. Here he comes. Here he comes. Now, Lord, encounter your people. Encounter your people. Encounter your people. Now your job is to respond to Him. To respond to His presence. To respond to His person. To respond to the very person of the Holy Spirit who is in the room. Jesus, let your fire fall in this room. You are the baptizer. You are the baptizer in the Holy Spirit and fire. Let your fire fall on your people and burn up every bit of dross that is in our lives. Burn up every impurity that is in our lives. Burn up everything that would prevent us from walking in purity and in power for you, Lord. Burn it up in us. Burn it up in us, Jesus. Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.